From single parenthood to a major car accident and the tragic loss of his father, Chris's journey is one of resilience and transformation. What ended up happening next though is what really took me down to like zero. He now imparts his wisdom to guide others on a similar path. This is happening to me or I can happen to it. And I was like, you know what? I, I decided in that moment and I wrote it on a napkin. I'm going to be better tomorrow than I am today. Dr. Chris Lee is a management consultant and executive coach known for his radically different approach, harnessing the latest findings in neuroscience, sociology, and technology to decode individual behavior. Dr. Chris Lee, we have finally made it happen. Tenacity is how we got here. (laughs) Tenacity, tenacity. perseverance, patience. I think this is maybe the fifth or sixth time we try to make this happen now. So yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it had to happen and absolutely delighted to have you here. I've been following your content for some time now, massive, massive value to be gained from every single piece of content you deliver. And thank you for that. And of course, today is an opportunity to dive deeper into the content that you share and the work that you do. But before we dive into that, can you bring us right back to pretty much the beginning of this whole journey for you, which came at a a difficult point in your life, a time when you were hospitalized for some time after being involved in in a car accident, you were on your bike and got hit by a car and you suffered a lot of injuries because of that. And that seemed to have been a pivotal moment in your life. I think it was perhaps the beginning of this whole new journey for you. So can you can you bring us back to that day and what happened and, and how you feel yeah. your life transformed ultimately from that point forward? Yeah, absolutely. So this takes us back about seven and a half, eight-ish years now. Um, I was about a year into my doctor program and broke, broken and lost, trying to find my life and other people's dreams for what they expect from me. Like, I think a lot of us do. I'm like, oh, I'm going to make mom and dad happy. And that was exactly what I was doing too. I was living somebody else's dream and trying to make it my own and fit myself into, you know, those molds of somebody else's vision for what is safe and secure. But all along the while, and I think a lot of us probably experience this, there's that little voice that comes up when we go to bed at night when we're staring up at the ceiling, I call it white ceiling syndrome. We're kind of like looking up at the ceiling and you just ask yourself, like, is this really it? Like, is that really it? And that voice had started to come up as soon as I had started um, my doctorate and just was like, is this, is this really it? Like, is, am I going to open a practice and like do the whole thing? Like, is that, is that what it is? And it started to like consume a lot of like my mental power and a lot of like my mental bandwidth, but in any regard, I kept trucking through school and midterms came up and um, midterms are just brutal. We were in a quarter system. So you do 10 weeks worth of class. Week five is midterms. Week 10 is finals. You get two tests. And if you fail it, you basically just dropped like three and a half K on a whoops of daisies and like, good luck. Try again next time. So I finished up my midterms. It was a Friday and like any good broke doctoral student, I was going to go celebrate. So I had a goodwill bike really good. I think it was like maybe $35, fixed it up, put a chain on it, put some tires on it. And we were in Atlanta. So I rolled my bike down to, you know, the most exclusive store. Some of you have probably heard of it. It's called Walmart, which is the only place that I could afford at the time. And I was like, I'm really going to treat myself. So not only did I get a $2 bottle of wine, I also got clearance aisle, dark chocolate, Um, and I got like a 99 cent bag of chips and I was just going to go have like the best night of pirated Netflix. Cause I couldn't even afford Netflix from my neighbor's Wi-Fi. So it's like my mom's Netflix, my neighbor's pirated. We've all been there. Don't, don't deny it. So anyways, I'm doing that and I'm excited to go home and I got my stuff in my backpack and I'm riding and I got one more turn. I'm probably maybe a mile away. And I got this, it's my favorite part of the whole ride. It's super hilly and you can just bomb down this hill right? Put it in like the highest gear I got and just let it eat. And it was Friday. I'm like, let me let all this out. And like, you get up to like, probably like 35, 40 miles per hour, like you're clipping. And thank goodness I had a helmet on because the last turn, which has probably about a quarter mile left, um, there's a stop sign. 
and black SUV ended up not stopping at the stop sign. And I tried to go into the opposite lane and I hit them probably going 35. They might've been going 20. And I like bucked myself into the opposite lane and thank God went into a ditch. And I don't remember anything after that. If I'm being completely honest, I woke up maybe like 10, 20, 30, an hour later. I don't really know. Um, and I was like, gotta get home. That was the only thing that was in my head is gotta get home. And I had a helmet on, thank God. Get home. My brother also going through a doctoral program goes, what happened to you? And I'm like, had a concussion. I'm like, need help. And he's like, why are your pants like all wet and stuff like that? And I was like, pointing to my backpack and I'm like, my, you know, wine, there's a wine bottle, wine must've broke. And he takes a unshattered wine bottle out of my backpack. And that's when we realized, oh, I've got internal lacerations and contusions. And I'm like bleeding. We got to go to the hospital. <clears throat> so my brother picks me up, drives me to the hospital. Hospital goes, yeah, you definitely gave a high five to a car. Don't do that. Bad idea. And they throw me on bed rest. And this is where all of those voices really started. This is when things like got really real because I could I couldn't escape them anymore. There was nowhere to go. There was nothing to do. I was on bed rest. They said, don't move so that all of your tendons can like keep your pelvis tight together. Don't move so your muscles don't disconnect. Don't do this so your contusions can teal. So you stop bleeding internally, like all of this stuff. So I'm just stuck there in pain, watching classes go by, watching midterms go by, not going to class, not anything. And I'm just stuck in bed. And these voices keep getting louder. And it's just like, is this it? Is this really it? Is, is this it? Is this like the final frontier of like the, the critical point in my life? So one week goes by and it's like, this really sucks. And then week two starts to come by and I'm like, this is awful. Like I'm depressed and then I'm anxious and I'm yo-yoing back and forth between those two things. I have zero cognitive control. So I'm just going back and forth between like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be okay. And then it's like too much stimulation. Like all you're going to do is fail in life. You're never going to recover from this. You're never going to get back. You're not going to be in the same cohort as your other students. Look at your body's deteriorating. Like you're going to get fat. Like all this stuff kept piling on. And then eventually at week two, when it started to get louder and louder, I ended up getting a phone call. And this was the thing that, that really like, I thought I was broken, but this is what broke me. So I pick up the phone and it's an old family friend that lives in Atlanta. And they call me up and they're like, Hey, 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 is this, is this Chris? I'm like, yeah, is this like Steve? He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, do you still live in Atlanta? I'm like, yes. He's like, where do you live? And I'm like, not telling you that. And he's like, it's really important. It's about your dad. I need you and your brother to be home. Tell me where you're at. And I'm like, tell me what's going on. He's like, I'm coming to your house. Tell me where you live. So I tell him where I live, call my brother up. Who's in school. Right. And I'm like, yo, Steve is like coming to the house. He's like squirrely. Steve is coming to the house. And he's like, yeah. So I hadn't been out of bed on my own at this point. Um, so this is the first day that I like stand up right? Like baby giraffe legs out of the womb type of thing. And I'm standing at the door. I hear Steve's truck pull up. I hear my brother's truck pull up and I just stand there for what seems like 10 minutes. Right. And like, it's that feeling where, you know, something's like big wrong, like something's, something's messed up, like really fucked up. And I'm standing there and it's just like, I just start getting this like tunnel vision of like, this is not okay. Like something is like wrong, wrong. And I don't know what to do. My body hurts. I haven't stood up. Like my legs are shaking. And finally I hear my brother like open the door to like our little shitty apartment. And I see him and I see Steve and they're just sobbing, like full blown, like crying. Right. And I'd like not really seen my brother cry. And he sees me standing there, like throws his shit against the wall, runs over to me, like picks me up and grabs me. And I'm like, what is dude tell him talk to me and he just looks at me and he goes dad's gone so we found out later that day that our dad shot himself killed himself he committed suicide out of nowhere nick and i were supposed to go for a barbecue in like two weeks we we're supposed to go like hang out and we didn't know any of this he lived in atlanta down the road about 30 minutes away and was like suffering had bipolar schizophrenic uh, tendencies that were undiagnosed um, and were untreated and was going through a really difficult time in his marriage, not with my mom, um, with, with another wife and just things were bad. 
And we just didn't know, like Nick and I are in this high intensity program. We go see him when we can, like we talk to him when we can't, all this stuff goes on. And then the stories from like my life, like how are you possibly the guy that's like into brain, into neuroscience, into functional neurology that like never saw this coming. Like those voices in my head got so loud. Like you're such a piece of shit. Like you're such a bad human being. Like this is your fault. How did you not see the signs? They're so obvious. He isolated himself for two. You didn't hear from him for two weeks. And you thought that that was normal. And it just kept going and going and going. So my brother and I do a funeral in, in Atlanta. We do a funeral in Michigan where we're from. And we just try to go on with it, try to process the grief. But like, I'm 23, he's 24. Like, I don't know how to do this. Um, I was dating a woman at the time and we end up splitting up because like, I can't support myself, let alone a relationship body's broken. I'm just starting to be able to walk a couple months later. And, you know, that was when her and I really split up. Cause I was like, I'm, I'm a shell. I'm empty. Like I got nothing. Like it's a really good day that I don't just like yell in my pillow and cry on the floor. And she got it. Um, what ended up happening next though, is what really took me down to like zero. And she calls me up about a month later and no, no bullshit, no anything. She goes, Hey, just a heads up. You're going to be a dad. And I know you're in a shitty space, but you congratulations, you're a dad. And I'm like 23, 23 now broke, broken, shattered, no emotional system, shell of a man, like in such a deep hole that I'm like, there's no way that I can get out. There's no way. There's This is too much. This is just too much for one person to deal with. Dad's gone. Don't know how to process that. My body hurts and I can't move to go like work out all the frustration and the anger that I'm experiencing. And on top of that, now I've got a baby on the way. So my little girl ends up being born. Her name is Phoenix and she is a badass little girl now she's like six years old at this time and like she's just she's awesome she's the best thing ever i've been a full-time um shortly after she was born i became you know single daddy her and i against the world and like we just crushed it and like life turned around and the thing that allowed me to turn that space around was just a very simple concept that a mentor of mine really told me so a mentor of mine called me up after he saw that my dad had died and it was one of the first jobs I'd ever had helping make pool noodles. And calls up and said, Hey, I heard about your dad. I'm super sorry to hear that. How are you? And I'm like, I'm messed up, right? Like I, I'm not, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do anything, but I'm like messed up internally. I don't really know what to do with this. And he goes, I bet you feel really powerless. And I was mad at the guy at this point. I'm like, well, no shit, right? Like, what would you do? Like, how, how do you possibly get out of this situation? And he tells me knowledge is power and you're full of knowledge plus power, but you're powerless in this situation because you lack utility in the right areas. You have been yet to master your emotions and your mind. And until you do those two things, you are going to constantly suffer under the situation and the events and the trauma, and it'll always be your fault. And you'll always use this as a factor to say, I could have been, but this is a chance. You can be, or you could have been your choice. And the dude hangs up the phone on me and thank God he did. And I didn't even know that he hung up. Cause I was like, you know what? Let me tell you something about your life that you don't know. And I was so mad, but I could not get that out of my head. So I started to realize I knew a lot of things, but I didn't know anything practical. I didn't know any utility. And this is where I started to get into mindset. I started to do therapy and lo and behold, it, it did absolutely nothing. Zero, zilch, I, nothing changed in my life. And I, I was like, so mad. I was even more mad, more frustrated. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And me half-ass paying attention in school, I was in a functional neurology lab and they basically go, so a lot of ideas get processed through the thalamus and the thalamus controls where information goes based on, based on stress and stimulation. So a lot of information can get fed into the fight or flight system, or even if that information is good, it can still get fed to the fight or flight system and you won't acquire information or knowledge or anything. And you won't even know, right? So we have this like stimulation blindness to what's going on. And I was like, oh, say that again, but slower. Like explain to me like I'm three, right? And she goes, big, scary, 
make you no take big action. Basically. She didn't really say that. Cause she was like, yeah, I'm not going to deal with you. She's been like a 10 year neuroscientist. So I'm like, all right. So I start to understand the brain a little bit more and that if I'm dysregulated, all the mindset, all the strategy, all the implementation, all the journaling is basically throwing, you know, the most organic heirloom or non-GMO seeds on blacktop in the middle of the summer. They have all the potential to grow into the beautiful garden that you know they can, but the environment of my brain is not enriching the mindset and the ideas that I'm trying to become. And that was my moment. That was it. And I remember I was in a waffle house and it was like three 30 in the morning when the idea like really like clicked for me. And I was like, I'm dysregulated, like not a little bit, like I'm so dysregulated all this trauma. I don't need to talk about the trauma. I need to show the trauma a different Avenue forward. I need to make meaning out of this because my nervous system is naturally default mode center in the brain is just making meaning of it for me. And it's keeping me a victim. It's keeping me frozen. It's keeping me in all these places. That's not what my daughter deserves. That's not what I'm meant to be. And that's when I was like, my mentor was so right. It was like, this is happening to me or I can happen to it. And I was like, you know what? I, I decided in that moment and I wrote it on a napkin. I'm going to be better tomorrow than I am today. That was it. And I just leaned in day after day. So now I own a consulting firm. I own a media firm. We have a pretty decent audience on social media. We get to talk to a couple million people every single week. Um, and it's a beautiful experience, but the self-regulation strategies are the thing that got me out of what I thought was this inevitable doom. Wow. <laughs> and that's, and that's what I do. And that, and now we're here. <laughs> nice, gentle, light story on this beautiful Monday. Brought us right into the pit there and you, you've, you've brought us right back out of it. And Perhaps before we move beyond the pit, there are a lot of people that have been there, potentially are there right now who are listening to this podcast. And if they feel like they're slipping into the pit or they're somewhat stuck there, what are some of the strategies or tools that they can develop in order to move forward? So, and I love that you answer, answer the, like ask this because, you know, most people just want to talk about the science and I am so much about the implementation. So one of the things, if you're taking notes on this or whatever it is, you just need to mood follows action, right? Those three words that mood follows action. So if you feel like you're in the pit, if you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like you're fixated, you've plateaued, whatever the heck that it is, the solution is not to think about the problem. So let's just say, for example, we take my life into, for example, uh, my default mode network in the brain, if I try to think my way out of a mental, emotional action, behavioral problem, it doesn't try to find solutions. It practices the problem. And I need people to understand that's what rumination is. You're not trying to find a solution. Your brain is running on its own, automatic, default mode network. It's default. And it's simply considering all the possibilities for the problem. It never gives you solutions. The solutions come by looking and showing that you can actually change. So your nervous system becomes self-protective and it's just says, yo, you're stuck in this hole. Let's make sure we don't go any deeper. So let's just practice staying where we're at. Let's keep status quo. So every time you're stressed, your brain goes, keep status quo, keep status quo. So you have to show it through action that you can make some level of meaningful progress. And this is why I love for people with, you know, mental health challenges, business strategies, my burnt out entrepreneurs, what are your KPIs? What are your objective goals for your own mental health? And most people are always so focused on like, I just want to be less depressed. Fantastic start. What's the contrast to that though? And they're like, well, I, I'd like to live a more meaningful life. Awesome. When was the last time that you recognized you had meaning in your life? Well, you know, I was actually sitting down and I was unpacking this in a meaningful way when I was journaling or I was talking with a friend or I was talking with an advisor. Those are all actions. You're not in the vacuum of your own mind because so often we can't read the label inside of the jar. We need somebody else to give us that perspective. And that is one of like the most helpful tactics is the co-regulation that comes from sharing and then having somebody hold you to the standard of your potential. And a lot of people like don't like the, the challenge that comes with that because it's uncomfortable, right? When you meet somebody that looks at you and sees your potential and says, you're not living up to that, they should make your kneecap should get sweaty, right? You should start getting like sweat trickling down your back. And that intrinsic sense of like, I'm not doing enough. I can be more, not from a sense of stress, not from a sense of like shame or guilt, but just opportunity. 
that intrinsic motivation, that discomfort you experience is meant to take you into action. Because if you take all of that energy that your system is building up, the epinephrine, the dopamine, the, the serotonergic systems, all of those built up, they're not meant for you to like sit and like critically analyze what's going on. It, it gets your hands sweaty and your kneecaps and everything else motivated to move into action. So if you ever get stuck in like overthinking, go for a walk, right? Or do burpees or do squats or something, or like do jumping jacks or like do mobility drills. Like anytime that I talk with somebody that has any of those things, get yourself into motion. I've never in all of the people that I've worked with, every workshop, every connection, every entrepreneur, every business owner, every like complete workshop, I'll say, stand up if you have overthinking tendencies. And I sit them down and I'm just like, all right, overthink. What's the thing you're worried about? Just think about it. Just so think about it, right? And you can see everybody like they start to turn red and they get overworked. Then I say, all right, great. Do three laps around the auditorium now. And then we say, are you better or worse? And everyone's like, it's so much better, right? Because you've given the focus mechanism in your brain something to devise attention into. So we're stealing back that focus. We're stealing back that willpower. And that's what discipline is. It's doing the hard thing when the easy thing is available. And it's creating that slippery slope so that motivation can fall into the thing that you want to do, not fall back into old patterns. Can oh, action yeah. serve as distraction? Because we're often told by therapists or psychologists to sit and feel the pain, feel the struggle and to feel it will eventually dissolve the pain. You are asking such good questions. So there's, there's four platforms of like stimulation, stress and regulation, right? So there's, there's physical, mental, emotional, and social. So the mental is basically certainty and predictability, right? And that builds safety, certainty and predictability builds safety. And a lot of times we try to go do the emotional work, which are emotions. So like, if you, if you can envision in your head, a water bottle, right. And it's filled up to the very, very top. Those are your emotional systems, right? And a lot of the time, we don't ever take the time to create safety, which is taking the lid off of that water bottle. So instead, all we do is just shake it up, right? And then we just experience the emotion just moving and jumbling around. What doing mental work of like certainty, predictability, and action does is it builds the discipline for your nervous system to experience somatic safety, which is predictable embodiment. So when you have that predictable embodiment, you take the lid off the top of that water bottle so that when you process those emotions, yes, you need to feel and experience those things in order to make space for the good. You have to process the bad, which means, yeah, you definitely got to sit in the mud, right? You got to experience a lot of those different things because like, you know, common personal development says, you know, just focus on the good, be optimistic. Well, your emotional water bottle, your emotional bucket is so filled up that whenever you try to pour something in, it's just pouring right back out. So this is why certainty, scheduling, predictability, discipline, focus, those are the first platforms that I work with people on, physical fitness, right? Being able to wake up early and do some of those things. You're proving to yourself that not only are you worthy to do hard things when easy things are available, but it's building up the mental confines and infrastructure so that you can cognitively say, hey, body, brain, emotions, past, young Chris, when we experience some stuff, we're going to go back into that space but I'm not going back as that young boy. I'm not going back as that 22 year old person. I'm going back as a man and I'm going to hold space for you to process and cry and to be sad and be frustrated and to scream and let these things out. Cause I got you like the way that, like the way that I envision this, I am like taller than my brother and I'm never going to let him live that down, but he's infinitely stronger than I am. Right. Like he, he's like just a brick shit house of a dude and he's super strong. So whenever he hugs me, he just wraps his arms around me and I'm a strong dude, but like, that's what that safety feels like when your intrinsic masculine can like match up with that emotional processing, that internal safety allows you to experience those emotions without just pouring them into different cups. That's what so many different strategies do. And I think at time, and I, I love therapy. My mom's been a therapist for like 30 plus years. But even these strategies, they're, they're so effective for therapists as well. You can say, hey, let's work on safety, certainty, and predictability first. And now let's slowly start to introduce some of these emotional systems so you can have that safety and pour these emotions out and make room for the good. And what did that process look like for you as you were going through the trauma of your accident and 
the the yeah. death of your father as well? It was so much like, and, and this is not what, what I went through is not what I recommend. I will say that because not only was I suddenly, you know, a, a single father, I was also trying to finish up a doctorate. I was also trying to like have a job, right. And do all of these different things. So one of the first things that I started to go do is I just started walking. Like I noticed like all these successful people just go for walks. And I was like, why, 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 why is everyone just walking? right? With like no headphones. No, they're just walking out there with like a drill. Like, okay. So that was one of the first things that I was like, I can walk and it kind of hurts because like, I haven't moved my body because I got hit by a car. So me and my baby girl, I'd strap her on my chest or I'd put her in my little backpack and she loved being outside. We were in Marietta, Georgia. It was beautiful summer, fall, all those good things. And I just walk, I'd walk to school. I'd walk to the lab. I'd walk to residency. I'd do all these different things. And just doing that cardiovascular exercise and just making the choice to walk everywhere was so good for me. And then I was like, okay, well, my hips are like really swishy, which is going to sound super squirrely, but my core is messed up, right? Cause like I hurt to brace my core cause I messed up my uh, pelvic floor. So I'm going to work on Kegel exercises. And then slowly, but surely I started to build up like a super small, like little 10 minute calisthenic workout. And I was like, every day I'm working out. And like, you know, I, I'm stronger now than I ever have been in my entire life, right? And I played college athlete, like I was a, I was a collegiate um, athlete, played soccer, was running track, like all these different things. And I'm stronger now than I ever have been, thanks to that small foundation. So doing all of those things all at one time, the thing that I would recommend most people do is start super small and just do measurable goals. So if you know that you're not getting good sleep, awesome, work on sleep. Sleep, diet, exercise, and habit formation are the first things that I work with because they're yes or no. You cannot, did you work out today? Yes or no. Did you go to sleep on time? Yes or no. Did you eat right? Yes or no. And those create the, the contrast that most people need to say, okay, you're not really serious about change, right? You say that you want some of this change, but like, are you really serious? So the only clients that I work with right now, the question that I say, and the question that I ask them is on a scale of one to 10, how willing are you to change? How willing are you to be uncomfortable? And if that's not a 10, and they can't explain why, or they don't even know, or they don't understand the question with all the love in my heart, I'm good at what I do because I intentionally make you uncomfortable because I see the potential inside of you. And I hold you to that standard. And if it's not the season for that, I totally get it. But for most people starting off with that basic platform, I mean, getting good sleep eradicates so many problems, starting to get like a decent, healthy, fit body eradicates so many problems. I have a, a easy barbell in my garage. And that's like the only thing that I have a box in there too, that I jump on. That is all the exercise equipment I have at home. And I got like really strong doing those things until I was ready to start to go and do like personal training. And I did some more personal training and I'm lifting heavier and stronger and I'm running faster and I'm playing soccer, like all these different things, but it, it starts off small. So sleep, diet, exercise, can you do those things? And can you stay accountable? And if you can't do it with yourself, do it in a group. Like there's all these group programs out there. Gavin's doing coaching, like we're doing coaching. Like there is truly nowadays, like the excuse is just your lack of willingness. And I say that with like the utmost love in my heart for everybody out there. There's so many excuses. I had every excuse under the sun, but at some point in your life, you have to take the hero's journey and you have to be willing to be the hero of your own life because no one else is going to come save you, but you. Do you look back at those experiences now and thank them for happening? Or is there still some elements of regret that linger? It's, it's hard. Um, a huge part of the grieving process. And I still grieve my dad um, all the time. Like there's so many things where I'm like, you know, I, I wish you'd be so proud of like Nick and I, right. You'd be so proud. Like my brother just had a little, uh, his first little kid. Um, and I'm like, you'd be so proud of him. And I like me and my brother are just killing it out here. Like we're the men that you knew we could be. And I so wish that he was here in the physical to be able to see that, to hold his granddaughter, to hold his grandson and to see what Nick and I have done. Um, and then I look back on the experiences that I've had and I used to look back and say, why me? And now I look back and I was like, it had to be this way. Like the greatest gift that my dad gave my brother and I was the utter bedrock shaking loss of him. 
like Nick and I were forced to do generational healing. We did not have a choice. We were the last men in that line. So we had to do it. And the men that Nick and I show up to be now, we would not be these men with no way. Right. And like he and I both have multiple businesses. We are both extraordinary partners. We're amazing dads. And I'm not saying that to like, you know, prove a point or to say it, but like we would have lived really awesome, mediocre lives. If, if all of that wouldn't happen, I, I would not be having this conversation with you today. I would not have the things I would have opened to practice. I would have had, you know, the 1.5 dogs, the 2.3 kids. And like, I would have been standard. Right. And I always would have had that voice in the back of my head. And I would have learned to suppress it and shut it up and just kept, you know, going on and like, is this it? Cause that voice would have never gone away. I would have just found more extreme ways to disconnect and dissociate from it. So I am wildly grateful for the things. I'm, I'm grateful that my dad was strong enough in whatever capacity to do the things that he did. God, I miss him. I miss him so much. And still I look back and I know he looks down and up or wherever the heck he's floating off in the ether and says like, thank you. Like you guys, this is what I needed you to see. Like, this is the life, like the life that I get to have with my daughter now, like we get to live on the beach. I get to pick her up from school every single day. We get to adventure. We get to go travel. We get to go do it. Like she comes to my speaking events. She like, she got to say like, what's daddy do for a living on like, you know, father's day last year. Like my daddy plays. I'm like, yes. Yeah. All day, baby. That's exactly what daddy does. Right. Cause it's so true. And I'm just wildly grateful that I'm able to be here now. What are some of the lessons that you know bring into fatherhood with fatherhood with you to your daughter? It's a huge thing. Um, and especially being disconnected from my my daughter's mom's side of the family too, and not having connection with them. Like they, I didn't have a masculine model in my life for like what what is a dad? Like what's a good dad? And like I'm grateful to go look at those things because um, you know, the things I do remember about my dad uh when I was like young is that he just worked a lot. And he would come home and he would be so tired and, you know, his body would ache and he was a CNC machinist and a carpenter. So like he was doing hard work and he always told my brother and I, he's like, you know, you're not cut out for this. I won't let you like work in a, in a factory. I won't let you do it. Right. You guys are going to go to school. And he worked his ass off to make sure that my brother and I like always were being pushed to go to school. And the life that I have now, I'm really blessed to choose to work like 20 hours a week so that I can do the things that I love with the people that I love. And it took sacrifice and it took discipline to get to this space. And it's a thing that takes time. It, it took a lot of compounding time of like, is this really going to work? Like, is this really going to happen? Like, is this real? Is this really, is this really? And that challenge of like faith really brings you up to the precipice of purpose. Like, you got to jump. Like, are you going to do this thing or not? And especially when it comes to parenting, when your kid's been screaming all through the night, you got to change the sheets for the third time. Doesn't want to go to school is super upset. All of those things are opportunities for you to not only do something differently, but to parent your inner child in a way that you wish you had. And that is like the constant thing that I'm always seeing is like, she's upset probably because a version of me is dysregulated because I never got the love that I wanted when I was dysregulated in her exact position. And then it's choosing, okay, you know, the super easy thing to go do would have been like, okay, like, you know, here's, here's technology and here's this and here's that. And she knows that, you know, I, I do social media because she's six now, but like, we don't have a TV out in our living room. My TV is in my garage right? She doesn't have an iPad. We have a library, right? We don't have anything in the house that would like give her the capacity to like distract away from having a childhood. And I am there as like the protector of that innocence so that she can explore her inner world and her outer world without fear of like all the big scaries. And it doesn't mean those big scaries don't exist. And I introduce them to her with my protection of like, we don't talk to strangers, right? Like when you look at these people, what does their body make your body feel like? And introducing her to like intuition and things like that. Like all these things that she's like, I don't like the way my body feels when I look at that guy. I'm like, right. We don't go talk to those people ever. And like just learning to trust them of those things. So it's been interesting and it's definitely not the easy pathway, but seeing 
And it's, I'm not saying this in a judgmental way, but like based on the parenting goals that I had, she just has a different ability to focus and to play and to like, well, what do you want to do today, baby? She's like, I want to go draw chalk on the floor. I'm like, let's go. Like, let's go build an entire city. So she built an entire chalk city on our front like deck. I'm like, amazing. Right. And we built an entire sand castle, a village, not a, a castle, it was a village. And they had a doctor's office and they had a therapy office and they had a daddy office. They had all the things. And like somebody came up to us at the beach the other day and they're like, you've been playing with your kid for like two hours down here. Like, aren't you tired? And I'm like, she's going to get tired before I do. Right. That's why I wake up and I'm doing box jumps and burpees and squats out there. Like I will not let her tenacity outcompete my playfulness because that's all I want to do. I just want to play all the time. And I let that version of me come out with the boundaries and the regiments and the rules of we go to bed at 7.30, you get two books before bed. We do movie night, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. We are going to eat our meals. And if we don't, there is discipline to those things. So like a couple of days ago, she didn't do the things that she was supposed to do. And she lost movie night for an entire week. And she threw a fit, right? Because it's like her most favorite thing ever. And then she comes back. She like wrote me a note or like she draws notes to me. And it's like, I understand that what I said was not an okay thing to say. What I did was not an okay thing. And I'm sorry for those things. And I said, awesome. Like, does that feel cleared up in your body? Like, do you feel better in your body? She goes, kind of, right? So like teaching emotional intelligence as well. And just layering some of those things on, but like not doing it as like, a freewheeling parent, but with discipline and structure, but also play. So when are you starting your parenting course? Gosh, I, <laughs> I, I, oh, someday, one day we'll do, we'll get down to it. Brilliant, man. I, I love those concepts. Can you tell me a bit about uh, stressed to success? It, it has me somewhat intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the programs that we run um, it's called stress to success. And it's basically for small business owners, burnt out entrepreneurs. So I have a coaching company and I have a consulting company. The consulting company goes through and we help um, larger businesses that are five to 10 level teams, uh, restructure management and build better systems and strategies based on the strengths and weaknesses of their team. Uh, for entrepreneurs that are like two to three people, or if you're running solo, it's just you. So we work on stress management and doing the basic things that are going to make sure that you're not burning out in your business. Because as entrepreneurs, you have nothing but time and no structure to know what is right or wrong. So we start to create some parameters for you to judge your own success. So it's not me saying this is how you do it. It's you getting a blueprint. It is uncomfortable because we will hold you up to the standards that you want to be presented at. All along the while, we also use biofeedback to see if you're actually regulating your nervous system. And we do it in a group setting. So the group setting in and of itself, it's a really cool system. Um, and the company that we work with, our group programs that we have basically have a collective HRV score. We have a collective biofeedback score. So we all put our data in and it's all anonymous. And then every day we get a group score. So we can see the group as a whole is more regulated today or more dysregulated. And then we can say, why does everybody think the group is so dysregulated on Mondays? Like who's actually doing their Sunday work of predictability and certainty? Because if you look at the data, sometimes we're good and sometimes we're bad. So how can we better plan and strategize for this? And then when we do individual coaching with these companies or these individuals, we can say, hey, so let's take a look at your data and trends. Like you're up and down and left and right. Is there a reason that we don't have as much consistency? Is there something that you're struggling with that we can help you out with? And then we always come back to those like four basic platforms, physical, mental, emotional, social, which one of those are you struggling with, right? So it's like, yeah, you know, I haven't, I've been eating a little bit of pizza because we're doing like a tech sprint. We're trying to do these codes and all of this and all that. And I'm like, do you think you're doing your optimal work with Red Bull and 48 hour sprints? Go, well, yeah. And I'm like, no, the answer is no. I've never met anybody on the face of the earth. That's like Red Bull coffee. Adderall is out there. My God, like crazy, goodness gracious. And it's like, you're not doing your best work like that. You might think that you are. And what you're feeling is elation and stimulation, but it's busy, not productive, right? So we start to evaluate and create some of these structures so that people can do meaningful work in meaningful ways built around a lifestyle that they want so that they don't sacrifice a nine to five for a five to nine, right? And then just keep rinsing and repeating. Cause that's what most entrepreneurs do. They start like nine to five. I don't want that job. And they start waking up at 5am they go to bed at nine. And it's like, 
listen, that was not what you agreed to either. So like when I tell people 20 hours a week is what I work, period, right? And the rest of the time is for me because I want to enjoy life. And I am wildly successful doing those things because I found what moves the needle, what I'm good at, what I can delegate, and then build a team around any of those other blind spots so that my one hour has seven people working on it. So I have a seven X ROI on every single hour that I work. So let's get you up to that level where you can also go do those things. What if you have somebody that wakes up in the morning, they're somewhat perhaps guilted into the routine of discipline and hard work and and training. Uh, maybe I'll call it the Goggins effect. So there's, there is a real thing. So there's compassion fatigue that starts to settle in, especially for my coaches out there that you need to recalibrate and re-solidify your identity like every three to six months. Because if you're not evolving in personal development coaching, you're going to get dusted by people that are, which means forgiveness, rest, and recovery. Those things are so critical. But the other thing about like being a scientist going after this is like, you cannot lie to the biofeedback. So like you're burnt out, you're crispy, you're all of those things. You don't need to go hit your third leg day for a two hour workout on a Monday when you got three hours of sleep, driving on caffeine and your kid was up all night because they're teething. What you need today is you need a walk and you need a nap, right? So like you cannot lie to the numbers. And that's like the best part about this is like the David Goggins thing is so real. Like the Wes Watson thing is such a real thing of like, you just gotta stop being a bitch and like get out there and go do the things. It's like, yeah, but like, you don't have kids, you don't have business, you don't have a partner, right? You're not the one that's cleaning up your house. You're not the one doing all of these different things. So there's, there's a level of like goal achievement, potential and like reality, right? And I think reality is probably the lowest hanging fruit. And that's where most of us probably like live our potential up to. And we never strategize to get to the goal, right? And then we never evaluate to say, is my journey to that goal actually functional? So if you're waking out and you're burnt out and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't go do this another day. And then you shame and guilt yourself into doing that. The battery that's running your behaviors is shame and guilt. So now we go back to that emotional strategy, those emotional buckets and say, what part of you is not being seen, heard, or validated that we are running basically at half mass on negative emotions in order for you to go do those things, right? And now we can start to use some of these different strategies and say, what part of your identity is not being seen? What part of your values are manifesting in this, which is a healthy self-sabotage pattern? The gym for so many healthy entrepreneurs out there is a sabotage strategy. And they're like, I got to go do it. And I'm like, yeah, but you're doing it out of shame, right? Like if I went up to your kid and I was like, yo, you're a fat piece of shit, you would punch me in the mouth, right? And yet you talk to yourself like that through your behaviors, every single day. What if we started to change the narrative? What if we started to work on certainty, predictability, and safety? What if we knocked down the gym from eight days a week to four and started to add in some gentle cardio? Most of these guys get even more cut, more jacked. Some of like the women I start to work with, like thyroid challenges, autoimmune starts going away because they're running such high stimulation, pre-workout on top of black coffee, not enough protein, all these other things stacking up one on top of another. And then eventually something blows out for men tends to be testosterone for women ends up being thyroid. And then they start to either get really skinny with Hashimoto's or like all this stuff starts to stack up. And it's like, it is single factor built on compounding behaviors, right? And it's not like, let's fix everything. Hit the gym, journal, meditate, get a mentor, get a lifestyle coach, build a church, build a business, S-corp, trust fund. It's not all, no, no, no. Go for a walk. Just go for a walk today. If it's overwhelming, go for a walk. Do some push-ups in the morning. Like ask yourself, like if today was successful, what would I be doing? If I loved myself more today, what would I be doing? If I loved my partner more today, what would I be doing? It's those small, gentle questions. Like that's how I got to where I am. Like I, I did not sprint. I walked here, right? But the difference is like, there's that quote that's like floating around out there. The man that loves the walk will walk further than the man that loves the journey. I just love the walk. I love the path. So like, yeah, the challenges pop up. Like that's why I do box jumps. I'll jump over those things. I'm ready to go. But I also have that like ideal vision of like, I can also be gentle. So like a couple of weeks ago, I was barbecued. I was getting up at three to help a company in Stockholm, like scale up. And I was helping them do morning meetings and things like that. And I was not getting enough sleep. So instead of hitting the gym, me and my daughter after school went to the beach, we were paddle boarding and that was my workout. 
and it was amazing. I got tan. I saw the sunset every night. We were drinking mint and oil. It was just perfect, right? And I was like, I feel amazing. I feel refreshed. I feel recharged. And being able to do that and not worry that you're going to fall off the wagon, you're never going to get back and you're going to spiral back down to that dark and dirty place. Like mastery is recognizing that you can go back to that dark and dirty place, but you've already come out once, right? And last time you were down there, you were fishing in the dark without a flashlight and without any way to get out. There's a pathway out. You walked out last time. You can do it again. And not only can you do it again, but next time you come out, bring another person, another form of your identity that you left in the shadows back out with you. And the next time you go back down there, you're going to recognize that you want to go back. It's not a scary place. You're not afraid to go down there. You go down there with a torch and you bring the rest of you, the parts of you that you left behind that you are ashamed of back into the light. And you love the fuck out of that version of yourself. I know you're a big advocate for journaling as well. And, and so am I. It's been a massive part of my own self-development process and healing process. What's some of the criteria that people get wrong when it comes to journaling? They sit down and they try to do three hours of it in one session. I kid you not. I started journaling with sticky notes. That was it. I had sticky notes that were like on my dining room table. And my only thing every single day was to put a period on the paper. I, I, I can't even make this up. All I had to do to win that day for journaling was to put a period on the paper and that was done. But by the time I'm already there, and this is like a habit threshold strategy is like you put your shoes by the front door. So you got to trip over them every time. By the time I put the period on the paper, I was like, I'm already here, right? I can write how I'm feeling, like some thoughts that are going on. And then after I do that, I'm like, I can do a second note. And then after I do a couple notes, and then a couple of weeks go by and I'm like, I'm doing like six or seven notes. Like I'm going to get a journal. And it's like, yeah, and now I got a journal and then I'm like, oh, they have cool journals. And now I start to get like emotionally attached to it. And now I'm like, man, I feel so much better. Like, what are some other questions that I could start to ask myself? And then once you start to journal for like two weeks, you have trending data on how you are. So if you ask yourself on a scale of zero to 10, like how good was today? 10 was like rain rainbow kittens and butterflies and buttercups. And one was a trash fire you can start to look at like without any data, without biofeedback, you can say like, oh, I was trending like a six and then I went down to a four. Why did I go to a four? That's right. Somebody like flipped me off and it like really messed with me for the rest of the day. Why did that mess with me? Tomorrow's journal prompt. Why did that really stick with me? And it's like, oh, well, I have this people pleasing tendency. This person cut me off and I felt like they didn't like me. And as silly as it was, it turned on my fight or flight response. Awesome. Good to know. And now I can dive deeper into people pleasing. Delightful. And then like, it just continues to spiral. Right. And now like, you know, I, I still journal and I still write every single day. And like, I have stacks of journals on the bottom shelf down here. Like that's, I mean, it's, it's probably like just a little bit on the obsession side, but it has made such a marked improvement because there is truly something to say for like having journals and having like pages of it and looking back on it and saying like, damn, like I, I, I wrote 200 pages of this journal in like a month or like in days or like the sticky notes started to add up. And that was what got really cool is I, every day I put the date at the top and I put it on the wall. And then like in like two weeks, I'm like, I got like half a wall covered over here or like a window or like I was putting it in my bathroom mirror. I was like, dang, like, that's like, that's really good for me. And then I was like, am I proud of myself? Do I love myself? Shit. I think I accidentally learned to love myself through the and it just starts to spiral in a really cool way. For somebody that's maybe starting off the journal, what would your advice be? I think there's two groups of people. Some people can sit down and set the 10 minute timer or the five minute timer to start and just write whatever comes to their head. Like they just have these things that they need to get out and mentally purge. And there's other people that need a little bit more structure. And for the people that need more structure, set a 10 minute timer. And if you break up your paper into three sections, write B-I-G. B stands for what do I believe in the world today? I stands for either inspiration or your intuition or uh, the the other one that it always goes towards. We start to look at um, what is that internal feeling, right? What is my intrinsic feeling? What is that moment that I believe in myself today, right? So belief and then intuitive like goals. And then that third one is gratitude. What are you grateful for? Something you're grateful for yesterday, right now, and something you're looking forward to. And most of the time your brain will grab one of those subjects. Like today, I believe that blah, 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 blah. 
And this will make you be a way better writer too. Or today I believe in me and my ability to do blah, blah, blah. Or gratitude. You're like, man, yesterday was like such a cool day. Like, I didn't even think about it, but like, I saw my dream car and that reminds me that I can do hard things. Or like this person stopped by and said that like my shirt was really cool and that felt really good. And like over time, you'll start to recognize like, man, it feels good to feel good again. And you start to build that habit loop over and over again. So pick one of those areas and you can get after it. Brilliant, Chris. Well, thank you very much, my man. And I could talk and talk here for another hour, but uh, we're two men on 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 a mission here. So we I'm going to have to wrap it up, unfortunately. And uh, before I do so, please tell everyone where they can find your brilliant content, reach out to you, potentially start working with you. So let us know where you're at. Yeah, everything's at Dr. Chrisley. My website is drchrisley.com. Um, and the Stress to Success group is going to start in November. So we take on small business owners, take on people that are just like trying to de dive deeper into that purpose, um, how to self-validate, how to maintain accountability, be in a group of peers that support your dreams and ambitions and don't make fun of you for those things. Like if you want a group to surround yourself with that sees your highest potential and holds you to that standard while also maintaining structure and accountability, that's what that group is dedicated to. So take a splash on the social medias, see if you even like me, because I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Um, and if you do, please reach out. I read all my DMs as fast as I possibly can, or the link in the bio will always take you to the promised land too. Brilliant. Excellent timing because this podcast will be out just in time for that. So Beautiful. everyone listen to it get on board and if if not now um, as chris mentioned go and follow his content because there's incredible value to be gained there so go and get after it and i hope you've all taken massive amount of value from this conversation i know i have and i am uh i'm gonna have to create a part two here i believe at some point as well because there's so much more to it. speak about i'm yeah. about, so, I'm all about yeah. it thank you chris until next time thank you gavin see you everyone